Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. Today I've got a great guest for you guys. Um, she's here to talk with me all about surrogacy. And uh, she happens to be a conception consultant, and um, but also has personal experience on the topic of surrogacy as she is currently working with a surrogate herself, right? You got it. And you might recognize her voice because you've heard her on the podcast before. So I want to extend a big welcome to Dr. Lauren Schneider again. Good to have you back. Thanks. Good to see you again. <laughs> um, Dr. Lauren Schneider is, like I said, a conception consultant, a chiropractic physician, certified acupuncturist. Girl, you're busy. I'm super busy. Yeah. Uh, and she's also devoted her life to integrative medical care, specializing in women's health, and especially the management and treatment of pre- and postnatal health, family wellness, and infertility. So you can find her at conceptionconsultant.com, also on Instagram at infer- no, integrative underscore fertility. Yes. Sorry, did I get it all? You got Lauren? it. Okay. You make me sound like I never sleep. <laughs> but, well, do you? I do. <laughs> For now. I, I just think you're probably much more efficient of a person than I am. Yes. I could maybe do one of those things. Maybe. And even then, probably not. So It took me a good five years to hit a groove. Now I've got a groove. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me some time. <laughs> So like I said, Lauren's been on the podcast before, episode 48, Mafia Meet Lauren. And in that episode, uh, Lauren debunked some myths about fertility diets, prenatal vitamins, toxins, acupuncture. We talked about a whole host of topics. Um, we also talked about things like MTHFR, immunology, men's health, alcohol, our favorite Thanksgiving food. I mean, it had it all. And does pineapple really get you pregnant? That's right. Mm-hmm. We, we touched on that as well. So go check out that episode. But today, um, we're here. We're having her back to share her personal experience with infertility, IVF, and surrogacy. Uh, before we do that, I've got one email I want to share. Okay. Is that okay, Lauren? Yes, go for it. It's a unicorn email. <laughs> She's what like... does that mean, you ask? <laughs> <laughs> so the running joke now... Um, <laughs> is that people who get pregnant with IUI are unicorns. That's our... They are. You know, because they're so rare. Correct. And, but also very beautiful and magical. <laughs> so we got... We told people, if you get pregnant with IUI, tell us about it so we can share this unicorn spotting. Mm-hmm. So we got an email from Leah, and she said, I just recently found out about the wonderful Infertile Mafia and started at episode one. So I'm slowly but surely catching up. However, I thought I'd still email because of the fact that I did get pregnant with my first IUI. Unfortunately, it was a chemical pregnancy, early miscarriage, but I thought I'd still share my slight unicornness. We haven't been able to replicate it since. We're over two years TTC, but we're finally working with an RE. And also, I'm fully out and on and on YouTube, infertile person. Thanks for sharing your stories and making me laugh, cry, and all the feels. Love from Hawaii. Ugh, Hawaii. I know, right? She got all the pineapple in the world. <laughs> Lauren, we should... Lauren and I are sitting in Chicago where it's butt cold. <laughs> Leah, can we come visit you? Yep, Can I'm we in. just stay at your house indefinitely? Like... Uncle Eddie style. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Anyway, no, thank you for sharing that email. I'm sorry about the miscarriage, but it still counts. You still got pregnant with an IUI, which means, you know, it's possible. So still thanks. a unicorn. You're still a unicorn. So thank you for sharing that. 
Um, okay. I want to stop talking now. Lauren, this is <laughs> about you. So, Lauren, share with us a little bit of your TTC history and maybe why you're now choosing surrogacy. Sure. So, in 2015, I started working with uh, an RE in the north suburbs. His name's Dr. Freeberg. I talk about him all the time. He's my partner in crime. And while I was there, I started out as his case manager. So, I was the lovely woman who went over your medication instructions and dosages and was along for the ride um, during your cycle. During that time, one of... Slash therapist. Slash, I did everything. <laughs> slash acupuncturist, slash whatever. Yeah. Um, but during that time, one of our nurses named Melissa, she called me on a random Sunday. I will never forget this. And she was like, hey, if you work in our office, why don't we see, like, just where you're at with things? And I was like, ah, I'm 28. I don't need to, you know, very defiant like we all are. And so just to, honestly, I went and moved forward to look at blood work as a piece of mine. I did my AMH and baseline testing and my FSH was quote unquote garbage (laughs) um, is what she said when we got our blood back. Wait, what does that mean? Garbage means is the nice way of, of saying um, we prefer to see it under 9 or 10 at 28. Mine was already camping out around 10. And my AMH was within normal range, though. So we kind of kept that in the back of our minds. And we were like, well, maybe we need to move a timetable up if, you know, we wanted kids in our future. But at the time, <clears throat> I wasn't married and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So... We went about the egg freezing route. And so while I was working with the clinic, it was really nice because I would see the patients in the morning and I'd be one of them, but I'd wait till everyone left to do my own monitoring and froze my eggs back in 2015. Fast forward to 2017. I'm like, I don't know when I got married. In 2017, <laughs> um, I got married. And to that tall drink of water. To next that door. tall drink of water. <laughs> and I knew that we definitely wanted to start a family. So I didn't want to tap into the frozen eggs right away. I wanted to kind of see what we could do on our own first. And alas, nothing. Um, he had some sort of average sperm. I say average, but I really mean below average. And. <laughs> I just, you know, I had not only this FSH was kind of lingering over my head, but I didn't ovulate. My progesterone never got above 20 on cycle day 21 testing. And I also have autoimmune issue. Um, I was diagnosed with lupus a couple years ago. So we always kind of kept that in my back pocket that that might complicate things. So I got married in September 2017. And we decided to get back on the IVF road pretty quickly. Um, and so I did three rounds of IVF in 2018 uh, with the intention to freeze and PGS test. And I'm not a big producer, as I call myself. I'm not a, <laughs> I don't lay very many golden eggs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so of the cycles we, we had, um, we had PGS tested, normal. We had um, four embryos. And so... At the time, we were looking to decide how we wanted to move forward. Should we transfer? Should we try this in the sense that I'm carrying? Or should we look behind door number three and pursue surrogacy? 
And so we went ahead and we tried. We did two transfers with PGS tested embryos. Can I interrupt you real quick? Because if I'm trying to talk or think about this from the perspective of maybe someone. So we have a, a, we've read emails or shared stories from other women with lupus. Yep. Can you maybe explain how lupus complicates your fertility Mm -hmm. or why it would be a need Sure. Surrogacy. Yeah. You're jumping the gun. Oh, I'm sorry. I just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you, then you can wait. <laughs> no, no, it's Do fine. Think. It's different for different people, right? So everyone's presentation is different. Their treatments are different. It just depends where you are. Um, I wasn't in the active disease phase when I um, froze my eggs. So I always had the intention to want to carry, but wasn't sure if it was an option. Um, the reason lupus kind of complicates carrying. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Soundbar down. <laughs> Guys, listen. Let's just take a pause. Let me explain where we are. <laughs> Lauren so kindly invited me into her, what do you call This is your studio, your office, your... This is, my, this is our practice. Your practice. In the West Loop. Yes. Uh, West Loop, Best Loop. In fact, uh, Lauren lives literally two blocks from my home. I don't know why we haven't been friends sooner. Right. She and her husband, Todd, have a practice they're both chiropractors. I mean, it's just a it's power be, couple uh-huh. all around. Yeah. So we are in her lovely space today. Um, yeah. Like you said, right here in the West Loop. So shout out to my Chicagoans. If you need an acupuncturist, hit up Lauren. Okay. Go Thanks. ahead. Okay. Or Todd. Or Todd. Or Todd. I'm sure they're both great. <laughs> I am better. Okay. So back to lupus. Um, the way lupus can complicate fertility um there aren't necessarily studies that show it creates an issue with ovulation or egg quality but my rheumatologist felt that that could contribute so i don't want to say out there to everyone that autoimmune issues cause an egg quality issue per se that is not my area of expertise but for me it was more about the danger of carrying um there's an issue lupus patients tend to have a higher risk of preeclampsia and preterm labor And so that was really what was kind of ringing in the back of our minds of would I deliver early? What would the health of the baby be like? Um, What would my health look like? And so um, that was something we talked to both my rheumatologist and the RE, Dr. Freeberg, about. And we basically had decided that at the time I really wanted to give it a shot to try to transfer but then after two rounds of failed transfers I was like hey maybe I shouldn't do this maybe there's a bigger reason why two rounds of PGS tested embryos wasn't the best idea um, to transfer on me and so when we do that post game chat I like to call it after you come off a failed cycle We were like, listen, am I kind of playing with fire trying to do this anyways? Am I going to... um, I call it the what the fuck consult. Sure. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. The post-game chat. (laughs) Um, Potato, potato. (laughs) But uh, during that conversation, we were just saying, were we playing with fire trying to do this by letting me carry? And so the bottom line was we were checking some markers that would be a risk factor for preeclampsia and it's um, called lupus anticoagulant and it tells it, it leads us to think if that's positive not only does that have a risk of antiphospholipid syndrome which is I've a got blood it. clotting thing you know I've got it. and um, as well as preeclampsia so when that came back positive 
we felt like, okay, time to move forward and not risk this, not have to worry. To me, it was the stress of, do I have to worry every single day that the bottom was going to fall out? I don't think, not to say everyone's pregnancy isn't tough in some regard, but I don't think I could function having to constantly worry about, you know, is my blood pressure elevated? Is my headache something more? Is this going to turn into help syndrome? Um, So we decided to not risk it. And so our last egg retrieval, which was in June of 2018, we decided to freeze with the intention of transferring with the surrogate. Okay, so before I ask you some personal questions about surrogacy and kind of your take on it, your path, can you explain to everyone... um, I hear you. You hear the term surrogate and gestational carrier, yep. sometimes used interchangeably. Or correct, yeah. Maybe give us a let explain that. Sure. So I'd like to chat about the lingo in, in general because I have a tendency because this is my language every day to fall into abbreviations, which I tend to hate in a way too. Mm-hmm. But commonly in the fertility field, in regards to gestational carriers and surrogacy. You'll hear the term IPs a lot that is referring to the intended parents. Mm. So in in my case specifically, Todd and myself, um, a gestational carrier is very different from what we call a traditional surrogate. So a gestational carrier is a woman who agrees to carry a pregnancy but does not have a genetic link to the child. So in our case, we have a gestational carrier. Mm -hmm. It's my egg. It's his sperm. It's our embryo that's being transferred. Some people do go along the route of traditional surrogacy. And what that means is the woman who's carrying is also the egg donor herself. And in that case, there's a little, you know, concern as far as um, contracts. There's a lot of legal contracts that go into it and... Um, For us, obviously, I wanted to try to use my own egg, but a traditional surrogate uses her egg and donor sperm, meaning the husband's, or just depends who's in the situation, Mm -hmm. because sometimes people use donor sperm, or, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat, if you will. But in our case, um, it is a gestational carrier we're using, and I say GC a lot. That's the terminology. Sure. So I feel like a lot of people... um, I feel like I hear surrogate used more often mm-hmm. than gestational carrier. Right. Is it kind of one of those like accepted terms? But really, if it's unless the embryo has a genetic link to the woman, yeah. it's a gestational carrier. If, so common, yeah. So nowadays, yeah. it's most common people are using a gestational carrier, meaning they're trying to pursue the route with eggs and sperm of their choice, meaning whether it's her eggs or if she's getting donor eggs, because you do see a lot of gestational carriers who have embryos from donor eggs and the intended parent sperm as well. That's an Mm -hmm. option. Um, Traditional surrogacy is not as common anymore. It was back in the day, if Mm -hmm. you will. But I'm generalizing. For me, obviously, I I did the gestational carrier route, but um, most people, I think, are gearing in that direction. Got it. Um, we were contacted a long time ago by, <laughs> I don't even remember who it was, so I can't plug them. Sorry for listening. Um, <laughs> that they were doing a documentary on, um, like, wh- couples um, 
triplet people. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> who agree to basically do surrogacy. Okay. But the more um, ancient, traditional type of way. So, in other words, we all have, like, three consenting parties. But it would be like, if I was your surrogate and Todd and I banged it out. Whoa. Right? Sure. And people are doing this now to save money to bypass IVF. Right. Which to each their own. It wouldn't be for me. Yes. But that would also be like traditional surrogacy, right? Right. So from a cost perspective, um, or, you know, if couples don't mind having a carrier who's willing to use her own egg, mm-hmm. you have the luxury of being able to sometimes, I mean, it's a case-by-case basis, using insemination versus IVF. Right. So that is the pro to that. Versus a gestational carrier. You have to do the IVF. You're doing the frozen embryo transfer protocol just like you do yourself. Um, But surrogacy is such an umbrella term because it really is the agreement between parties. And when I say agreement, I mean legal agreement in my brain. But for some, I mean, everyone goes a different route. But it's basically someone who's willing to carry... Uh, and carry to hopefully term obviously someone else's pregnancy yeah to me it's all about the legality you know my brain is very logic driven yes and i know i know about lauren (laughs) no it's a good thing it's very logic driven so (laughs) i everything to me is very by the book um i think the agreement is one of the most important parts of the puzzle and so to me a surrogacy arrangement is not truly an arrangement if there is not that piece of the puzzle right well it's just it's one of these things that's like I mean, you're talking about some major life changes for right. everyone involved, for the, for the surrogate or the gestational carrier, for the intended parents. Like, the stakes are really high. Sure. Which means emotions are very high on all fronts, which means you need to have your, all your ducks in a very straight row. Yes. Would that be fair to say? <laughs> That's very fair. And I, you know, everyone, again, goes a little differently as far as their route and what ducks they put in that mm-hmm. row. And I will talk specifically about what was important to us and what was important, you know, to the process for us. And that may not be the same for everybody else. But to me, because I work in the field, I've seen a Mm. lot of cases not end as well as you would hope for patients. And um, I've been a part of a lot of third-party reproduction cases. And I learned a lot from it. And so when it was my turn, I kind of knew what I needed in a relatively quick fashion versus letting the agency and attorneys steer the ship like we definitely used them we advised with um, a great attorney in Mm -hmm. chicago or were advised by a great attorney in chicago and our agency is one we've worked with in our clinic for the last 10 years so that was already comfort zone for me Mm -hmm. um but again everyone some people do try to pursue an independent journey If that works for you, power to you. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of independent journeys are choosing a carrier of someone that's in your family, a best friend, someone you know, or someone you try to seek out yourself um, for the process. Again, not the direction that I was looking to. um, But I think this was better as far as it was really important to us to have someone that wasn't family or friends because we didn't want the emotional tie Mm -hmm. Of if they weren't feeling well, did we feel guilty? If yeah. the pregnancy was hard on them, how does that affect us? Like to me specifically, it was truly viewed as a job um, in the beginning. Right. And I mean, things change when you're in the process, I think. Mm-hmm. But 
I think getting a really good agency and attorney is like the first step on everybody's list, or it should be at least. Right. Um, because they can definitely direct you in the right direction or have referrals for the other things that are necessary to complete the journey. Sure. I think, I mean, I could see pros and cons to both. Like I, uh, we recently talked to um, our friend Steph who it uh, was using a friend of her, a friend of hers offered to be a surrogate and yeah. that's all like great and beautiful but we don't all have friends that sure or even that like to your point that we would want to put ourselves in that position with a close friend but if it works for them that's awesome like yes i, I could see some some comfort in um my sister and i joked that like she offered yeah <laughs> she was like i would have been your surrogate um or gestational carrier. Yes, um, yes. I'm learning so much. And there would be some level of comfort to that too, of like, oh, my yeah. sister carried my child, but it is not for everyone. Right. I totally get that. Some people love the trust factor, right? Sure. They know that this is the next best person to take good care of the baby they're growing, the yeah. food they're eating, their right. lifestyle. There's a sense of control in an otherwise situation where you have none so I do see the draw if that's very important to someone at some point you do have to trust the process I mean within reason you do keep a guard up but um you know for some people I think they would feel the only way they could go through the process is if it was somebody they knew that was helping I'm only attesting to my story right so for us not the best route but I could be like hey Laura Lay off those hot dogs. You're yeah. pregnant with my baby. Yeah. No hot dogs. <laughs> well, that's a good um, segue into, I wanted to, or you said you wanted to talk to about debunking some myths around surrogacy and gestational carriers. Maybe just, um, I don't know, like what are things that people assume that are not true? What's fact? What's fiction? Sure. So huge when I get, okay, so now I'm a fun dinner conversation, right? Because... <laughs> I'm an alien who has a surrogate or gestational carrier, if you will. So we get asked questions a lot. So I'm going to I'm gonna hit the biggest. Stupid question. No, not they're not stupid. stupid but I, I laugh a lot and I see why people. There are no stupid questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thanks Kim Kardashian for making surrogacy such a thing. Oh, right. Yeah. And so because of that, I do get asked a lot. Um, do you just think everyone in Hollywood um, is using a carrier so they don't lose their, their figure <clears throat> figure <laughs> and the and the answer is no so when we were going through this process we had to have um, an affidavit signed by our physician saying that there was medical necessity so at least in Illinois you need to prove medical necessity to go this route it's not just for fun and games um, it's not just medical necessity but obviously if we need members in our gay community to use any sort of donors they also have paperwork Mm -hmm. that because it's not necessarily medical necessity but um everyone has the option to move forward um but it's not that hollywood stars were looking to just maintain a super trim figure and they didn't want to ruin it via pregnancy do you think some of them do though (laughs) do i think some of them stretch the truth maybe i do in kim kardashian's case like it's very cut and dry because she had such a traumatic delivery, so easier to bite on. And because it was public, people knew, mm-hmm. you know, that it wasn't such a shocker to me specifically. The cases in the media that drive me crazy, this is a side note and has nothing to do with it today, yes. But when you see headlines on magazines, Janet Jackson pregnant at 50, like 
What they're not telling you in those magazines is most likely those cases were a case of donor eggs or she had frozen eggs at a younger age and she's now just going through the process. And I think it puts a really bad impression out there to women that we still have these options at 50 and makes a conception consultant's job very hard makes it kind of makes it kind of tough yeah (laughs) um so to bring that back full circle um i you know i don't know who you follow in the media but specifically women usually who are going this route have had recurrent pregnancy loss or they had a traumatic delivery they have a medical condition that doesn't allow them to be able to carry um like or, incompetent cervix, for example, that'd be one. That that would be one. But there are things you can do for incompetence. Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh no, I know. So people have different reasons for choosing it, and there are cases, obviously, where we need egg donors and gestational carriers to complete a family. Um, so, I mean, in general, though, where I feel our first inclination is that Hollywood stars are using this as a means to spare their bodies. At least the ones I've read about have had either traumatic history with infertility, um, implantation issues, or um, just a previous traumatic delivery that kept them from wanting to move forward um, carrying themselves. So that's number one. Got it. Number two. <laughs> she, she, whoosh, next page. Whoosh. She's, Lauren comes very prepared. Listen, if I just talk off the cuff, I'll miss the point because I get sidetracked. So, number no, two. I appreciate that about you. Um, and again, I'll touch on I, the list of what I think are a list of must-haves for the journey. So it'll tie it back to these myths. But for now, I'll go with the myths. Uh, number two is, can someone take the baby? I get it. I've gotten asked this a lot. What if your carrier would like to keep the baby? So... Different states have different laws in regards to surrogacy and how surrogate-friendly they are. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm only speaking to the state I'm dealing with, but um, our carrier lives in Colorado, which allows us and grants us the ability to fill out what's called a pre-birth order. So an attorney in Colorado will petition the court um, prior to 20 weeks to grant us parentage paperwork. That means if she goes into labor early, she delivers early, or she delivers on time. We don't have to adopt away our child. We are already on the birth certificate because we were granted pre-birth order. Okay. That does not exist in every state. Illinois is also a surrogate-friendly state, but I cannot speak to the rest. Um, but when you have not only a legal agreement between yourself and your carrier, and you have an agreement... Um, that you can establish parentage mm-hmm. it is very difficult for someone to keep a child that is not theirs um, and then I wanted to find a statistic on this because I'm you know when I get asked this question all the time I'm like no that never happens you know <laughs> but I wanted to know you know yeah. what's the frequency and so what I read online was there's an estimated 0.001 percent chance of having trouble gaining custody of your child So what that means is the incidents where you hear of people trying to keep the baby are often a situation where traditional surrogacy is involved and a family member is the egg donor. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. In closing, I don't think my lovely carrier will want to keep another one as she already has four children and I think her hens would be very full. (laughs) But what I'm hearing you say, see, this is something I didn't know. Mm Mm-hmm. 
if you're in a maybe not so surrogate friendly state, like I know New York has been in the news lately, mm-hmm. like of all places, yep. is it, it's like not legal or something? Surrogacy officially? Yeah. So yeah. there's different laws and I don't want to butcher this. So roll yeah. with me on this. This is We don't know what we're talking about. This is generally what I took away when I had a conversation with our agency, just from being the biz, if you will. But some laws are surrogate or some states are surrogate friendly. Some do not support it at all where it is illegal. And some are kind of in this in-between where um, you can't compensate a surrogate, but they can carry. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of scenarios. Um, specifically, what you would find surprising is in the su- some southern states, it's not considered kosher, obviously. There's a little more religion that plays into that versus here. But um, when you have an attorney walk you through the process for the state you're in. So, for example, we have an Illinois attorney. Our, our carrier has a Colorado attorney. And we also have a Colorado attorney that will establish our parentage order. Mm-hmm. Pre-birth order, sorry. Um, so that's why I think the attorney piece is so important. Because without that, um, you can hope that the relationship between parents and carrier remains happy goes with you know to delivery with no issue um, no issue once baby's here you know you hope that things stay that way but truly you never know because emotions are involved and Mm -hmm. so I think that one little facet of having attorneys to represent everybody or advocate for each party is super super important and with that said it's because there's an agreement in place between the intended parents and the carrier, it would be very difficult to just want to keep the right. Kiddo. I have so many questions running through my brain. <laughs> and also, let me caveat: before you go through the process of becoming a carrier, you're not. It's not just anybody can do it. There's psych screenings and evaluations that are done. To you know, you can't always predict how things are going to go, but you want to minimize your risk. And so, if you have um, a carrier going through the process who's new, who hasn't been medically cleared yet. Um, there's a medical clearance there's a site clearance so you're hopefully not moving forward if you're going the by the book way um, because people will have those things in place Mm -hmm. those barriers to entry if you will sure yeah okay and yeah like I said I have so many questions and if anyone out there sidebar if you have a question as we're talking just jot it down and send it in an email we can have Lauren come back and answer all your (laughs) questions because I have so many going through my brain right now I know I'm gonna miss them Typically, when you work with an agency, they will place you or try to match you with a carrier that has surrogate-friendly laws. Okay. So, actually... So that this cannot happen, where yes. basically so a never, surrogate's like, yep. you know what, even though this is... I have no genetic tie to this child, it's yours, but I'm going to go ahead and keep it. That's your worst-case scenario. <laughs> that's a really bad scenario. <laughs> um, so that's why agencies are so I just don't even so know great. how that could even be legal. But it's, what you're saying is it sounds like in some places there's this very tiny, tiny chance that maybe that's possible. So I don't know of any yeah. cases. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Well, I did want to look it up because obviously just anecdotally, the patients I've seen, this has not been an issue because sure. we've helped establish parentage mm-hmm. for our patients when their carriers deliver in Illinois. Um, and that actually is one of my myths that a carrier has to live in the same state as you. That okay. is not the case. You can have someone as long as they are within that surrogacy friendly or they have laws that are in favor of surrogacy so that 
Because obviously your carrier is going to deliver where she lives. Like I don't want her running back to Illinois in labor. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of problems with that. My water broke. Yeah. Let's get, on, let's a get plane. on a plane. Right. <laughs> so many issues. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, obviously the hope is that you're there for the delivery, right? Mm-hmm. You can't plan everything. Um, but to have the parentage established ahead of time minimizes the risk once the baby is there in the hospital we get to go on the birth certificate versus having to petition the court to adopt or mm-hmm. whatnot. So yes, it is definitely okay if if you're okay with having someone in a different state. For me, it's okay because I think if I was seeing the day-to-day, um, I worry I would be too controlling. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, so that was like another cup of coffee, huh? Like, you know, I think less is more. Sure. I absolutely love our carrier. I talk to her every day. That's so self-aware of you, Lauren. I'm no, I know I have a little bag of crazy. We all do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. we all do. But I think it's the perfect where we, so everyone can set up their relationship and you base your match criteria on what are non-negotiables for you. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is um, some intended parents go into the process saying they want their carrier to be a business relationship it's a job they're being paid they don't mind not going to ultrasounds or they want to do the minimum amount Mm -hmm. minimal communication and then the agency will try to match with one of their carriers who also prefers a family who's not over involved and it's whatever works for you for us we kind of wanted to see where the road was taking us versus i didn't want to put a premeditated I want to be their bestie and I want to fly out there all the time. Mm -hmm. The location where she lived was not my non-negotiable. It was matching on things. What they usually look for, the big guys they look out for is, is location an issue? Do you want a lot or little communication? Where do you stand on termination Mm -hmm. um, and reduction? And they try to line you up at least with the same wishes. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that was like the most important thing. Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. But so as you're talking and I'm, it sounds like whether it's finding a surrogate friendly state or the relationship, the match of your surrogate, like it sounds like an agency plays an, a very critical role. Yeah. Yeah. So I think social media has been really great in giving people a resource to learn about each other's experiences and do's and do nots. But I still think nothing can replace. Again, this is just me. I don't think anything can replace an agency. They field out helping set up medical clearance, getting them cleared to even start the process, background checks. Some people do credit checks. I mean, they're really the liaison that facilitates the process, not only from making sure a carrier is fit with the recommendations of your um, you know, medical clearance and the physician who's overseen medical clearance, but... They also advocate for the surrogates as well, in, or the carriers. And so I think it's huge to have someone pushing for both sides because it is such an emotional process. And to me, the agency became... Just your mediator. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're the go-between. And a lot of women who start agencies or get involved have been affected by this somehow. I don't know that many, just in our office, who get into becoming an an agency if they haven't walked the path mm-hmm. or at least not necessarily even have to be um, a gestational carrier themselves but uh, they've been struggling with infertility so they really know 
distress that comes along with the territory. And I know there's a few ways agencies can come into play. So they can either match you with someone who's on their, I say roster, that's like a horrible thing to say, but you know, someone they've worked with before who's ready to start another journey or they've been cleared to start their first journey. Um, That's one way an agency comes into play. They will match intended parents. Another way is, let's say I have a sister. I don't. But let's pretend her name's Shannon. And Shannon says, Lauren, I'd love to carry for you. Mm -hmm. So what can happen is I can present Shannon to the agency Mm -hmm. to get her medically cleared to manage this. Yeah. Because you don't know what to ask or like what what legal things you need to have, even if it's your own sister. Right. And I am a huge advocate. Family stories are sometimes the ones that are the most difficult. Yeah. And so I still think the same players need to come into play. The agency, the attorney, escrow, all these things. Because when things get hairy, you can always revert back to the contract. The agency can be the go-between. They can deal with the sensitive nature of complaints. And so um, it's different management styles. So an agency typically charges a different amount if they are matching you mm-hmm. versus if you're, you've found a match and you're bringing them to the yeah, to right. them, if you will. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. before we move forward with your must-haves, yeah. are there any other myths you want to debunk for us? So that kind of ties in um, perfectly. One of my other myths is that any woman can become a surrogate or a gestational carrier. That is not true. There's a very intense, in you know, we have our intake paperwork for them, background checks, medical clearance, psyche valves. Does their health insurance allow us to bill a gestational carrier pregnancy Mm. Um, not all carriers have health insurance so then we have to wait for open enrollment I mean there's a lot that comes into play Um, so the percentage is very low of women who apply to be a surrogate or gestational carrier and actually actually get cleared so that that's important for people to know it is nice to have a family member who would like to offer but that doesn't mean they're always medically cleared. So they have to go through a lot, even if the parents would like them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have to go through the same screenings as everyone else. And if they have any clinical findings, they have to present that as whether or not that's a hiccup in in this situation. Okay. And my last myth is that surrogacy is only for the wealthy. Um, a lot of question marks get raised of, is this like only a white collar problem? They call it rich person disease. Someone said that before and I wanted to vomit. <laughs> um, there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. There are some, there's two different ways um, carriers or surrogacy is done. There's commercial surrogacy, which is code for they're paid to do the whole process and there's altruistic. So those are angels who are doing that without compensation. Um, you can find people who are willing to do it for lower comp. There are cases where if a gestational carrier is carried for a family before, her base pay is usually higher. So, you know, when people say, what's the ballpark of what this costs you? I can't give you one because are the embryos already frozen that you're going to use? Were they PGS tested? Do you need multiple rounds? Mm -hmm. Has your carrier worked with another family before? Do they have insurance? Do you have to pay that out of pocket? You know, there's way too many variables that make it difficult to put a number on it. And with that, an agency and an attorney can help huge with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just I'm reminded of um, 
are you familiar with Pregnantish, mm-hmm. Andrea? Um, we're going to interview her later uh, next month. But uh, I know she went the route of surrogacy, and she's a big advocate for surrogacy, and she's in New York State. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she had, I think, the first time she tried to do this, the surrogate bailed on yeah. her. How, like, is that a common thing? And I'm sure this is another, like, the yeah. agency is there to to serve them as well, like, meaning... Yeah. I mean, of course, you don't want that to happen, but right. it, this is part. Probably, I would assume what part of that screening is for. Like, are you right. ready for this? Totally. And so, because I don't know her situation, if she found yeah. someone or if right, right. they're ready with an agency, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the like, here's the thing that I think is great when you put an agreement together between um, a carrier and intended parents. The carrier can back out at any time for any reason where the intended parents are usually contractually obligated to either a certain amount of rounds of transfers or a time period so average just what i've seen a lot is either three transfers or 12 months whatever comes first okay and so i would hate you know in the cases where people bail so to speak it's really hard for the intended parent because they've been along the the journey for a while and it's a huge disappointment and heartache but um, in those cases I would rather her be you know using her own free will to back out because if she's moved forward just because you don't know what slew of complications could come from that it ends up being a blessing in disguise when that happens I have only had one carrier in our office who has bailed later than you know the beginning stages but it was a better fit for the parents so it ended up being a good you know a good thing and again that's something that's important that all carriers know that they're not like held against their will they don't have to move forward (laughs) if it doesn't feel right you know Mm -hmm. and that's again where an agency will come to play they will sit you down with a match meeting first before you decide if you're moving forward with someone Mm -hmm. especially if they're not local so you both fly in and meet and you have like a I hate saying round table, but you have someone there who's also, whether it's the agency or a third party, um, kind of like facilitating the conversation and whatnot. And then after that match meeting, um, you can decide if you feel it's a good fit and both parties have to agree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there's any red flags or or not necessarily red flags, but stumbling blocks that either party feels could be an issue, they air it out long before they get to contract phase. So they'll use the agency to say, oh, is it really a non-negotiable? Are they on the fence about certain things? Do they want me to eat organic the whole time? Mm. Is that... So much to work out. Yeah, it's like, is that... But for some... That has been a non-negotiable for one of my parents. Yeah. So, you know, what's important to one may not be important to the other. Um, But you hope to avoid someone bailing, so to speak, Mm -hmm. by having a lot of stumbling blocks to even get... you know, yeah. to that point in the first place, sure. Well, I mean, like you were saying, a blessing in disguise because ultimately you don't you don't want someone carrying your child right. who, who doesn't, doesn't want, want to yeah, do it. Absolutely. I mean, as heartbreaking as that obviously is, that's not you don't right you don't want that either. So. Right, right. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your must haves. You've been talking about the agency. I'm sure it's at the top of your list. I know. Can I stop beating that dead horse? Goodness that gracious. Horse. It was just my thing, you know? And plus, well, it sounds, I like mine, so I'm totally it, this biased. This is about you. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like 
I mean, if I was going to go that route, I would need the comfort of having the mediator too, that they've done this before. They've right. thought of everything. Pretty Most of us are not experts on third party right. situations when it comes to child uh, creating. So, you know, like yeah. <laughs> most sure. of us have not thought this through. You yeah. need someone, you need that friend that's like, nope, here's what you need to think about. So I that, get it. I think that was almost a good thing for me too because I do work in this field. I have a tendency to want to try to control the process. Yeah. And I think... You know too much. I know too much. I think that would be hard on a carrier. So to have someone as a go-between, if I'm being a little stressful, <laughs> you know, if someone was allowing me to be the patient instead of the provider mm-hmm. and that was very tough but also I think necessary okay that makes sense can I ask a quick question as far as the agency goes is there a resource that you could recommend like if someone's considering surrogacy like where do you begin to find an agency so the first thing I would do is a lot of um reproductive clinics and fertility clinics have a provider list they have preferred partners yeah everyone's a little different you don't have to work with their preferred partners Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also a good resource is to ask a reproductive attorney as well who they had a good experience working with who they didn't um, because they're a little more unbiased in their perspective and uh, yes that would be a really good place to start there are a lot of reviews on agencies online and those are good and bad and I like to tell people take it with a grain of salt because someone who's leaving a horrible review online you know what happened there's two sides to every story how did we get here so to always keep that in the back of your mind if you're seeing 10 great reviews and one horrible one I mean I with anything too exactly I think asking um your doctor and asking an attorney is a little more of a credible source than Mm -hmm. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> oh, Facebook. Yeah. We love to hate you. <laughs> okay, what else do you absolutely need if, if you're considering this? Yeah, so another big thing is I liked having an escrow company hold money into escrow for us. It does not blur any lines of when do they get paid, what their compensation is like. Once your agreement is done... In our case, we sent it to our escrow company and they set up a fee schedule based on milestones. So that means, yeah. So what that means is like if she flies here for a transfer, she gets a set fee. We notify escrow that she's flying in for the transfer. They release the money. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will go on, you know, not only for transfer, but everyone structures their comp a little differently. So um, they get, in our case, like a base per month. So the escrow will release that. They keep us in the know where we're at with things. But then it does not leave any room to interpretation. It is based solely off the contract. So um, that was important to me. I have seen cases where once emotions get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, money. It gets exactly. Messy. It does. It gets messy. Um, I think intended parents are a little quick to sometimes feel like they have to um, give in to some demands because they're emotional and they're vulnerable. And so escrow kind of eliminates that as well as the contract. Sure. Uh, the other thing is um, different states require different things, but life insurance policies, we have to make sure she has one, whether it's through her husband's previously existing one. 
Um, that was part of our contract. Either she had to pursue it herself and we reimbursed or we were giving her a monthly stipend to pay it. Okay. Um, that was for security of her family because there are always risks you're taking on when you're going through this process, just like any woman who is, you know, going through pregnancy. Um, health insurance is another big one. I think it's important there are people who can audit your carrier's insurance plan and let you know whether or not their plan is compliant with surrogacy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes billing out for the pregnancy will not get reimbursed and then the parents are out a lot of a lot of dough. Um, Mm -hmm. So having someone look into that. We sent our um, carrier's plan to our um, attorney as well because she wanted to look it over. But there are third-party companies that will do that for you. Uh, just because we're in the medical field, we have a lot of familiarity with billing and exclusions and whatever. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of legwork ourselves, but we always had someone look at things that we were not familiar with. Um, and there's also, again, your attorney will run you through this as well, but um, we will have paperwork that this is really gruesome, but you go through some pretty bad scenarios as to what would happen if during this process. Yeah. And um, we have to have paperwork in line that if Todd and I were to die before this baby is born, that someone is put into place, whether it's an estate document or whatever is recommended by your attorney, um, that will say someone in our family will pursue forward getting custody of that child. So that's all. I think the main thing is seeing what your doctor's recommendations are, um, seeing if any old patients are willing to... You know, like if they've started any support groups or if they have any firsthand experience with people they've dealt with. Um, But I think if you were to say must-haves, I think having all those clearances, you know, done ahead of time with an agency, letting an agency match you, using the attorney and um, pursuing an escrow company that knows surrogacy. We use one specifically that is for... um, third-party reproduction cases so they don't do just just gestational carriers and surrogacy they do egg donors as well gotcha yeah okay i'm curious about like i think i was always under the impression like well once the baby is born and everyone everyone's healthy here's your lump sum of one hundred thousand dollars or whatever <laughs> no <laughs> ten maybe million dollars like does it work like okay we have a successful transfer now this now we're through the first trimester now th- like how, how does a pay scale work i'm just curious everyone's comp is set up differently so typically there's a base pay there can there can or cannot be a fee just for agreeing to, to sign there can to, be a signing mm-hmm. bonus there can be a um, starting medications for FET transfer payment. There can be transfer, typically then first positive pregnancy test. Okay. Um, then heartbeat check. Those are usual individual fees. And then sometimes after that, people do a monthly set fee that goes mm-hmm. into their base. And then at the end, they get whatever has not been from the base. You know, it's yeah. too hard to say because if it's a C-section delivery, it's more expensive than sure. a vaginal. Um, if a partner has to take off a lot of time of work, that causes mm-hmm. more issue. If your carrier works, if she's on bed rest, I mean, yeah. there's a lot that goes into that. But generally, there is a base fee, and you work. That's your starting point. That's the epicenter of everything. If a carrier has been a proven carrier, her base fee is going to be higher. 
So you start with that. And if that number sounds outrageous to you, then you find someone who is looking for lower comp. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's basically um, paid by milestones. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And yeah. Different people, there's a lot of negotiating as far as childcare stipend if she had to, you know, be on bed rest mm-hmm. or um, if she has twins, it's more, you know, there's mm-hmm. always something that goes into it. But generally there's base pay and then there's all these ancillary things that can happen and also like a monthly stipend so to speak that could be for a pregnancy pillow just like basics to sure, sure. to living if it you will it sounds like another good reason to have an agency and an attorney that sets up a really clear contract do you see what i'm saying <laughs> yeah it does not leave any room for negotiating then because it's done you yeah. know then once if you hope the hope is obviously that she gets pregnant right away and you don't have to like debate back and forth about what these, All these little things yeah right 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 i would prefer the organic spinach today so i You're need a dollar and 83 more yeah yeah I'm, that's what you don't want or need <laughs> no yeah no sure don't <laughs> okay so let's switch gears and talk about you like where are you as far as yes experience sure so after we froze our embryos in june sorry i don't know i have to keep thinking doesn't it all blur together (laughs) of course like all the months run together i'm not sure like (laughs) i'm not sure where we're at so after we froze that we started pursuing the carrier route um while we sent those off to genetic testing and like took a breather we matched in august sorry i was trying to think about this matched in august and honestly it's one of those things that i feel like you just get a gut reaction as to whether or not you think someone's a good fit for you maybe like like a puppy <laughs> <laughs> but she's allergic to dogs just so. but i know lauren has chubs yeah and it's just like it's just like a puppy yes you know innately if you just love them or not well i mean some people say you know this dog looked into my eyes and i just knew maybe it's the same with, with almost, the carrier. almost the same um we we matched under having a lot of the same like non-negotiables if you will um we do talk like i said because there's been a lag time between meeting and matching and transferring like mm-hmm. we're hoping to do that soon there it is typical to have a lag time in between i okay. don't know very many people who match and then are like woo let's go you know mm-hmm. it's hard because you have to time it to what you know they have blackout dates you have to work with is school starting is that tough for them you know we try to like make it convenient around people's schedule as much as possible um and we have to wait to start their period get them cleared again do monitoring so there's a lot that goes into it obviously but um at first i was like i don't want there to be this huge lag time like i work in this field i should be able to pull this off faster like i i know people yeah Uh, (laughs) but in fact, like having like a little breather was good because there's, you know, the peace of mind knowing we have someone who we we both really like each other and yeah. each other's families. Um, we flew out to meet them. It was like a really nice first meeting. And since then, like we FaceTime, it's all very natural. And we really like at this point, because we've had so much time in between, like it feels like a friend to me in a way too that I almost have to stop myself and be like oh I can't believe like we met in these circumstances I feel like I've known her a long time or um you know it just all the cards kind of align so yeah we're in like this wait time to have a transfer soon ish soon ish soon ish okay so I'm hoping good things for like summer 
That sounds really exciting. I, know. I feel like another thing I'm hearing from you talk is that uh, maybe one thing pe- for people to consider is that it sounds like this process takes a lot longer than people might expect. No doubt. <laughs> um, when At first when we started this, I was telling Todd, my husband, that a lot of our patients like start to finish from the time they have gotten to the road of they would like to pursue for um, a carrier to having baby in arms is an average of two years. Okay. So that's a good ballpark mm-hmm. for you. Um, yeah, but sure. that is pretty normal because people's lives come into play. Mm-hmm. You know, every carrier for the most part in Illinois, you have to have um, a mom who's given birth before. Okay. So you assume they have a family and their school and their soccer practice and mm-hmm. like life has to go on. So, you know, as much as we try to make it convenient for both parties, like, then we have surgery schedules to fit into and you know so soonish is my soonish is my goal Got it. Mm-hmm. so you hear a lot of talk about self-care for an infertility patient or self-care for a woman who's pregnant or just women in general mm-hmm. but maybe talk to me about because i feel like once you decide the route of using a surrogate i, I don't know in some ways i might be able to check out like you're in some ways like, because you're not physically yeah, involved. It's anymore. amazing. Sorry, so, <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like how I'm, sh- but it's still important for you to have self care ar- around yourself going through this process. It probably gets underrated or the it's importance a, of it. It's a different stress now. Yeah. So I don't have the same anxiety about, you know, is my lining cooperating? Is my you know, is my estradiol where I want it to be? Is my progesterone cooperating? Am I over eight millimeter? Like, the, Sounds all, great. <laughs> all of that is about, it's a, it translates differently. Now mm-hmm. it's like, did she get her meds? Were they shipped on time? Yeah. When did she start her cycle? Where's her monitoring going to be? Because you have to set up monitoring out of state. Yeah. But like, you know, so it translates in a different way. So it's still stressful. For me, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with another patient recently who at a different clinic she's pursuing a carrier and she was like aren't you going to be sad that you're never going to feel a baby kick and I knee jerk was like no and she was like mortified <laughs> and I was like I'm really sorry but for me this has brought a whole new level of um calm that I did not experience when I was going through it myself um and not to say because it's on somebody else because you're still all involved but of course the yeah. torment of you know not everyone's created equal not everyone responds to medications the same way for some women it's way harder to go through the process mm-hmm. and um for me this was like the most peace i've experienced the entire time some people don't feel that way you know for her, this specific gal i'm talking about she was still letting go of the control Mm-hmm. And to me, like, uh, I think we felt like we had to decide to trust the, de- you know, the decision and trust the process because there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And so letting go um, made it easier. Like, this yeah. is the n- nicest I've been for six months. Like, <laughs> just ask my husband. <laughs> no, that makes, that makes total sense. Uh, and I'm glad you bring that up because I feel like there's um, – I don't know. I I find the age that we're in and being having the choice to use a gestational carry, carrier such an empowering choice for women and couples. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I I know that there are that there are plenty of women out there. I was going to ask you this: who feel the sense of loss and the sense of grief that they yep. are not going to get that opportunity mm-hmm. to actually carry a child. Yes, it sounds like for you, um, and I mean, for if you hate this, I'm sorry, but I too was never someone who felt like oh, I have to carry yeah. a child. I just, I've, I know some women feel that way. Yep. I just never did. I'm glad I was able to. Yep. I'm glad that it worked out for me. Sure. But I, I think I would have been very open to the route of surrogacy or adoption mm-hmm. because I don't feel that intense, yep. strong need. Yep. What advice would you give for someone who does maybe um, have that, like they're having a hard time getting over that sense of loss? Yeah. Because I'm sure you see it a lot. So not only are there really good support groups, but I feel like the loss and the grief people are experiencing is um, not being able, feeling that they won't be able to bond is what concerns I've heard of, right? And for me, um, a way to kind of gain that back is by seeing, so fun fact, you can induce breastfeeding on a lot of women without heard, pregnancy. Yes. And so what I advocate women not only is to like definitely seek your tribe, obviously find people who are in your boat um, and start a dialogue. But also uh, for me, knowing that I could add that as like a facet to my bond, because it's still the one thing that I, we weren't robbed of in this process mm-hmm. is important. So if women feel like they're being robbed of the pregnancy, maybe pursue um talking with your provider about are you a good candidate for inducing breastfeeding what's the process of that because it is a process and it's not the same for everybody but um that may give you that sense of like i hate saying motherhood and bonding because motherhood is defined in so many different ways but that might give you back some of the thing you felt like you lost if Mm -hmm. that makes sense and um and i think workshopping that also with a professional like to me I always saw pregnancy as a stepping stone to be a mom. I didn't see it as the end, like end game, end all, be all. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Sounds similar to your perspective. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely other ways you can get that bond, and I think looking into breastfeeding and inducing lactation would be huge. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Mm-hmm. And even for people who breastfeeding's not for them, there's plenty of other ways. Yeah. To bond with a child that don't involve pregnancy or breastfeeding. No doubt. <laughs> so what, there are tons of happy and healthy parent-child relationships with people who did not fall into that category. So while it's maybe hard to get through at the time, yeah. it's not impossible. And it's, you know, there are options. It's And it's okay if you're sad. And frankly, <laughs> any single person who we've, you know, told, oh, I'm not going to be... Um, carrying we're gonna like basically come home one day and there's gonna just be a baby right <laughs> and every woman unanimously has been like oh, oh aren't you gonna so lucky I oh. wish I had that option <laughs> oh my gosh that sounds so great I would have totally sidestepped that like Whoa. you know it's really funny when people say that because also you've you've done it so it's a little different mm-hmm. like you have experienced it but right your basic infertility yeah. patients kind of like ah oh, fuck you for that yeah <laughs> yes because it sounds like complaining that you had no the doubt. privilege of easily being pregnant and yeah right so, no doubt i get it <laughs> but <laughs> that said both both things can be true because pregnancy is not a cakewalk and right. neither is infertility they're both hard being right. a woman is just a real bitch sometimes <laughs> so, i mean it's true um super fun time so before we move on 
too out of the box. Is there any last parting words you want to tell us about surrogacy or, again, any good resources or anything you want us to know? So on my website, I do have my preferred partners on there. I can throw up um, the escrow and attorney I recommend. It's all anecdotal. Take what you want, leave what you don't. It's information buffet, if you will. Um, But, yes, I have the agency that we work with up there and also the provider that I work for and work with. So you can head to conceptionconsultant.com. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to sing the song with me? Sure. Ready? Okay. Out of the box. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) No? Not out of it. Oh, man. (laughs) One of these days... That transition's going to go smoothly. I can harmonize with you. And pe- Let's do it. No, I'm just joking. No? Okay. Dang it. All right. What is this pitch perfect? Who are you? <laughs> Glee? <laughs> um, okay. I'm sorry. Todd just peeked in and just went like this. You can't see because I've had Botox, but yeah. my eyebrows should be furrowing. She's ready. Oh, furrowing? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. So- <laughs> is he mad at us? No, I think he's ready to get his opinion in. <laughs> oh, okay. That would be awesome. We, um, uh, this just in. This is all happening Breaking live. news. Breaking news. We might have Lauren's husband, Todd, join us on the podcast. I love when men show up yeah. in, this, in our corner. That's great. Um, okay. Well, then. Well, if he comes in, he comes in. If not. But for now, we're going to switch gears. Okay. I want to talk about... TV, mm-hmm. because I just recently saw that you and Todd are watching The Sopranos. Sopranos. Thank you for saying Sopranos and not Sopranos in the way Todd says it. Oh. <laughs> I greatly appreciate that. Yes, I just finished season one. We are dying to know what happens to Tony Soprano's mom, because she is crazy. Oh, sorry. What's your it. question? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I haven't seen it. Um, it's on my list of things to watch. Okay. So, and I, I do, like, I think you said this on Instagram the other day, like, I know I'm way behind because, wh- right. know, wasn't it like a decade ago that yes. they, yeah, so. Everything's so 90s. Sure. In the yeah. show. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard, and this is why it continues to be on my list of eventually to get to, because I've he- heard more than one independent parties out there say like, no, this is the greatest show on television in the last good show. few decades. Mm-hmm. And I just think. Infertile Mafia. I feel like we need to be familiar. It seems with strange that you aren't acquainted. I know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now, since you've seen the first season, yeah, where the Infertile Mafia, they're the what Italian mafia, yeah. Sicilian. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. <laughs> all I know is the mafia. Haven't gotten to that. Yeah, yeah I'm yet. not that intense yet. Yeah. What? What? Like, what? Can you share any? What should we be doing differently to be a better mafia? Oh. Mm. First of all, you need to be a scarier captain, <laughs> if you will. Oh, is that what they're called? I captain? think I think he's called a captain. Oh, okay. I should really grab him. He might know this. He has like the understanding of the family tree a little better than oh. me. But there always has to be like the one crazy relative. Oh, do we all have that? Is I that me or is so. that Sarah? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is it me? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like going through the list of all our guests. Who's our crazy uncle? Yeah. Yeah, there's always the crazy uncle. Sure. Yeah, and That's a jailbird. There's though. a jailbird. I mean, mm. there's got to be... Everyone's got their role. Okay, so mm-hmm. we need to assign roles yeah. to people. Okay. Right. Maybe you're Captain Kayla. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But that sounds, I feel like... Important. Uh, Captain Hook. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I should be on a ship. <laughs> That's sailing, not where my mind went. Sailing no. the seas. No. <laughs> I didn't know they were called captains. Okay. Okay. Well, depending on their leadership role, mm, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, there's boss. Like I mean, there's like boss, right? Right, but like, 
it depends on your territory and who your guys are under you. Mm. And I am totally butching this, and I feel many Italians will be angry with me. So. I mean, the mafia's not real, right? Right. right. <laughs> Only Tony Soprano. <laughs> anyway. Oh, do you watch The Bachelor? Do I watch The Bachelor? <laughs> of course I do. Did you see last night? Of course I did. So we're recording this on a Wednesday. The finale was last night, Tuesday night. What'd you think? Here's... <clears throat> my censored truth. Todd and I both felt, yes, I will throw him under the bus. He is invested in this season. Todd and I both felt that Cassie was just not that into no. him. And it was painful to watch. Painful. And the other two women he let go, class acts, like should have kept him. Not to say Cassie wasn't, but she was just not digging him. Yeah, it felt very much like a hostage situation. It did, especially yeah. when she met the family, where yeah. she was just like, I just don't know if I'm ready for this. It right. just gave me a visceral response, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, are you like me? That I can't watch that show unironically. What do you mean? I mean, you can't take it seriously. Right, oh yeah. And I get really annoyed with people who take it seriously, like, he's in it for love. Okay. Isn't their shooting time like six weeks? <laughs> yeah. She is, I will commend her. Here's the thing. Though she didn't seem totally into him, I applaud her for being the only person who said, hey, this has been a short window of time we've known each other. <laughs> right. If what you want is marriage, I'm not it, but I'm willing to say, I'll see where this goes. Yes. That seems more realistic That's to me. an actual real feeling that people have after dating someone, after being on, an, a, date, on a date with them alone like twice. Which is essentially yeah. What so at happens. least she had like a good grip on reality. He looked like he was all in. Yeah, he was that guy that needed a friend to be like, dude, reel it in. She's just not that it. Now you're crazy. Is showing he, yes. a little bit. Totally like, tuck that back. Yeah, under. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go back to like episode one. <laughs> yeah. Yikes! Like um, ABC, can we start over? Yeah. Yeah. No jumping the fence necessary. That was right. a little dramatic. Oh, was, by the way, they plugged that so hard like it was going to be this dramatic. Like he's always. It's ABC. So, it's Chris Harrison. So like, let's put this into perspective. A tall, athletic man jumped a fence. <laughs> he was angry. Like, that's not that weird. It's not that dramatic. No. I don't think it was that dramatic either. Um, I said, because you know Chris Harrison always, it, every episode, it's, this is the most dramatic moment we've ever had. That was a really good impression, I will say. And I, I thought to myself last night, I was like, Chris Harrison has literally never been waiting by the phone for a beta result. That's the most dramatic no. moment or something similar. Can I get a witness? <laughs> like, Chris Harrison, you ain't seen nothing yet. Totally true. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> All right, so Lauren, um, tell us again where everyone can find you. Yeah, you can find me at integrative underscore fertility on Instagram. She's on the gram. I'm on the gram. I'm at conceptionconsultant.com, and I will be at the Infertile AF Summit on April 27th. It's the day after my birthday. Your birthday? Yeah, maybe we should go out. Are you a Taurus? I am. Uh, So I'm on the cusp of Taurus Gemini. I'm the 21st of May. Okay. But I'm a Gemini. I don't, I'm not really. I'm two-faced. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. It's like two personalities. Now I'm like doubting our friendship. It's I don't over. I know if she really likes me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never know. <laughs> Maybe we can go have drinks for our birthday. Okay. 
Birthdays. Birthdays. Right, birthdays, right? Birthdays. Right in between. And then we'll for sure get your husband Todd back on the podcast to talk about the male perspective of all the things. Of all, all Would he things. talk about the jerk-off room with me? If it was maybe PG. He's very profesh. Oh. Yeah, you so might I ha- shouldn't call it the jerk-off He will room. tell you his experience in so there. I'll say, when you gave your sample. Specimen. Specimen. Yeah, he'll tell you all about the furniture because he has a lot of like... <laughs> hate for it yeah i just i love every juicy should i grab him i mean we could keep you going, call it the specimen room the specimen room yes <laughs> the sample room <laughs> well lauren thanks again so much for joining us today um i hope that your soon-ish transfer soon-ish. brings you lots of prosperity and happy good things thanks. i hope that goes super well it sounds like you've got all your Ducks, my ducks in a row, in a row. My which ducks I would expect there. nothing less from you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so thanks again for joining me today. It was so nice to have you back. We got lots of good feedback from the last time you were on because you gave so much good information to everyone. So All right. And I, I know people will enjoy this episode as well. So everybody, join our closed Facebook groups if you're not already in there. Um, the Infertile Mafia and the Infertile Mafia Bosses and Babies. Maybe, maybe we need to get some surrogate moms in the bosses and babies sure groups. i'm not sure that we have one yet we need we need someone to i represent. can be the captain there you go <gasps> lauren's the captain in the bosses and babies yep. okay got it done you can follow us on instagram at infertile mafia podcast feel free to send us an email to infertile mafia at gmail.com again if you have any other questions about surrogacy because like i said when i go through editing this i know i'm gonna be like i should have asked this I yeah asked that so send us your questions or anything else if you're a unicorn, all that kind of stuff. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating, a review to keep hearing more talk about eggs and balls and stuff. Lauren, close us out. Thanks for joining the Infertile Mafia. Bye. Bye.